0: Good afternoon, Lafayette. Joe Cunningham here for the Joe Cunningham Show every weekday, 3 to 4 p.m. right here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542. That's the number if you want to take part in the show. And breaking news, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has been arrested. Just kidding. She was at a protest uh, near the Capitol. Uh, police officers escorted her away. She put her hands behind her back and pretended to have been handcuffed, only to see some supporters and reach one hand up and wave at them. This, this, I'm I'm serious. There is video of this. She she's being walked, she's being escorted away by Capitol Police. You actually can see the video. If you go to KPL965.com, click on today's show notes, Republican governors exceed expectations. You will see this video. It's right at the top. Uh AOC pretends to be arrested. This, uh, this is truly, truly funny. Uh, she is a professional victim and the, this is, this is what AOC thinks is going to win. I mean, this is what she thinks will help her side really just, you know, do better than they even did in 2020. The problem with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and the problem with a lot of Democrats like her is they live inside a bubble. Now, you guys have heard me talk about the bubble before. AOC really and truly thinks that she is on the ascendant side. She really, really thinks that the left, the progressive movement, is ultimately going to win out, and it's just a matter of getting uh, the, the evil moderates like Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema out of the way, uh, completely getting rid of the Republicans who just want to control women's bodies and destroy the earth through climate change. She really and truly thinks that this is going to be what gets her side to win. There's a little bit of a problem here. Now, yesterday I went over a poll from CNN and this poll at CNN The numbers are there. The Democrats have long believed that demography is destiny, that the demographics. That the demographics of the country will lead them to have a permanent political majority. And in the CNN SSRS poll that dropped yesterday, let me repeat the numbers to you. In particular, this one is brutal. Those that think Joe Biden has had the right priorities since he took office. Among voters of color, 35%. Among white voters, 29%. Voters who think that Joe Biden hasn't paid enough attention to the most important problems. Voters of color, 64%. White voters, 71%. But oh boy, does it get better. Let me explain. In Florida, a state which has a heavy Hispanic voter presence, especially Cuban Americans and others, but there's a large Cuban American community. Ron DeSantis is leading in some polling. Now, normally, a statewide election poll wouldn't really mean much to you guys here in South Louisiana but this battleground state survey showed voters approve of DeSantis's education policy positions and even some of his rhetoric this story is written by NBC news the reporter Mark Caputo is actually a really good reporter he is Center left, but I've actually met and had conversation with Caputo. He is a wonderful reporter, and his his big thing is that he dives beyond the talking points. He goes beyond the bubble on both sides. Here's what he writes. The day before his speech, one of the national teacher unions that opposes DeSantis released a battleground state survey showing voters approve of Desantis's education policy positions and even some of his rhetoric. The American Federation of Teachers circulated the poll conducted by Democratic firm Hart Research as a call to arms for its members and allies to emphasize more popular proposals like spending more on schools and reducing class sizes and de-emphasize fights that center on cultural issues. The American Federation of Teachers is urging its members to start talking about school funding, classroom size, the issues that really teachers need to be focused on. And to stop focusing on critical race theory and trans education in classrooms. Because it's killing them in the polls. Voters, especially Hispanic voters, are agreeing with DeSantis. But wait, there's more. In another state that Democrats have been hoping to flip because of demographics. Signal, which is a Republican-leaning firm, but has probably some of the most accurate polling in the last several cycles. Brian Kemp is crushing Stacey Abrams in the Hispanic and Asian American communities, both of which have suffered the most economic harm after Abrams pressured major league baseball to move the all-star game from Georgia. Remember that when Brian Kemp uh, endorsed and signed into law, a voter uh, voter, a vote reform package that the Democrats were saying were Jim Crow 2.0, Stacey Abrams, more or less blackmailed Major League Baseball to moving the All-Star Game out of the state and then went back and denied it. And USA Today, which had published her op-ed on the subject, allowed her to go in and stealth edit the op-ed without saying what was taken out. Hispanic and Asian American communities suffered economic harm after Abrams pressured Major League Baseball to move the All-Star Game from Georgia. It was estimated that about $10 million of revenue was lost from that move. Also, 25% of black men under 35 are voting for Brian Kemp. Kemp is winning college-educated voters, white women, white men, Asian women, Hispanic women, Asian men, Hispanic men, And he's losing black voters, but 25% of black voters under 35 are with him. Demography, demographics are not destiny. If you go too far on the social issues and ignore the real issues and don't actually do anything to help the real issues that are plaguing American families across the board. $10 million of revenue lost in Georgia because Stacey Abrams pressured Major League Baseball to move the All-Star game Out of Georgia last year, $10 million, the brunt of the communities that took that economic impact, Asian American and Hispanic business owners. And now Brian Kemp is set to win handily. What makes this so important, though, is that in the summer before an election, a Republican gubernatorial candidate or Republican statewide candidate is almost never ahead in the polls. At best, they are tied, but typically Democrats in the summer are ahead in Georgia polling three to four points. Democrats have long believed that demography is destiny, that if they can just build a coalition of minority groups and bring them together and have a multicultural coalition, they will win hands down every time. The problem is that James Carville is right. Say it with me, everybody. It's the economy, stupid. It's the economy. Inflation. uh, Gas prices. Everything that is affecting you and me and all of these families who sit down around the kitchen table looking at the bills day in and day out. That's what's affecting voters. Stacey Abrams is not going to, Stacey Abrams took money out of the Asian American and Hispanic communities when she chased MLB out of Georgia. Ron DeSantis has been fighting on cultural issues that are important to Hispanic, largely religious Hispanic voters. The Democrats have been playing up every issue that is in no way related to what is currently happening, what parents and what families are are concerned over right now. And that is what's going to crush them in November. 232-1542, let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, Joe Biden is planning to act on climate change. We will talk about that and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5, KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5, KPL. Just to add to the DeSantis news, because y'all know I've been following his his governorship very closely because I'm pretty sure that he's the next uh, can't, he's the next Republican nominee. I could be wrong. He may not even want to run. But this from yesterday, uh, written by my friends over at hotair.com, Florida poll, Ron DeSantis, 61, Donald Trump, 39. Pretty, pretty big news there. Now, here's the thing and here's why this kind of polling is important. Donald Trump has been out of eyesight, largely. I mean, there's news stories here and there, but he's been he's not been in office. He's not been campaigning. He's had a few rallies, but he's not really getting much coverage. He doesn't have a social media presence. Because of that, he's largely out of eyesight. And Ron DeSantis has been making headlines, particularly because the media wants to scare everybody into thinking that he's worse than Trump, that he's going to be scarier than Trump. The thing about that, though, that I find very fascinating is that the admission by the media that Ron DeSantis is worse than Trump, the admission there is that it, what they all complained about Trump was never really the problem to begin with. Ron DeSantis doesn't have family involved in his affa- in, in his political affairs. Ron DeSantis doesn't have any business affairs that his family is, are running shadily, Uh, Ron DeSantis is not morally bankrupt or corrupt, as the media claimed about Trump. Uh, He's not a party flipping. uh, He's not a party flipper who went to extreme and somewhat even racist uh, rhetoric, according to the media. His social media is not a hotbed of controversial statements and just generally uh, filled with a lack of decorum. His public appearances, public speeches aren't filled with a lack of decorum. The primary problem that Democrats have with Ron DeSantis are his policies. Everything that made Donald Trump unacceptable to the Democrats and to the media from the start, those are characteristics that Ron DeSantis doesn't have. So instead they're going over the democracy killing, autocratic, tyrannical, whatever you want to call it, fascist even. All those terms, which mean nothing when you actually look at the policies that that DeSantis has pushed for and gotten. All of that. Is getting people on DeSantis's side, the actual policies, when you explain what the so-called don't say gay bill actually did, it got majority support, even from Democratic voters when you look at what Ron DeSantis did, one of, the, one of the hits against Ron DeSantis a while back in state media from uh, media outlets that didn't like him, I kid you not, is the fact that he didn't put a bunch of pork spending for his supporters in the legislature. All the legislators that signed on to his agenda, his controversial adi- agenda, he cut some of their pet projects out of the budget. And the media's like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. This is proof that there's no loyalty for, uh, that DeSantis knows no loyalty. Are you kidding me? A Republican cutting the budget and cutting out pork spending and pet project spending? Oh, no. How terrible. It really just shows how empty the worse than Trump rhetoric is when none of the qualities that actually made Trump the worst in the media's eyes are actually embodied in DeSantis in any way. But they're going after DeSantis. They're they're trying to make DeSantis the candidate. And here's... Here's the thing, and I don't have a whole lot of time left, but I'm, I'm going to mention this here. And if it spills over to the next segment, so, so be it. This is funny. This is absolutely funny. This from the New York Times, an op-ed in the New York Times. To say that the Democratic strategy of putting a thumb on the scale for these charlatans and conspiracy theorists, like in this political climate, has alarmed prominent liberals would be an understatement. This is an opinion piece on Democrats who have put money into getting guys like Doug Mastriano and other farther right conservatives to be the primary victors in several state primaries so they could go up against the Democrats of their choice. They did this against Todd Akin. Claire McCaskill did this against Todd Akin. Todd Akin was a terrible candidate, but Claire McCaskill spent something like a million dollars. The Democrats spent a million dollars pumping up Todd Akin and basically forcing Republicans to go vote for Todd Akin so that she could get an easy win. And Democrats have repeated the strategy. They're doing it again this year, but they put all this money behind Doug Mastriano, who's a terrible candidate for governor in Pennsylvania. And now the polling is showing that Doug Mastriano has a chance. And Democrats are freaking out. MSNBC host Chris Hayes uh, called it insane. Barack Obama's former chief strategist, David Axelrod, who was helped orchestrate similar manipulation, recently wrote that in the Trump era, I fear this tactic. Politico headline, Democrats boosted a MAGA long shot in the Pennsylvania governor's race. Now he has a real shot of winning. A friend of mine had the best reaction to that story I've seen. It's nothing but a string of ha-ha's. The Democrats vastly overestimated just how popular they were and just how unpopular some of these Republican candidates could be. And all of these long-shot candidates they've been boosting now stand a really good chance of winning because the field, the, the, the lay of the land is ripe for Republicans to take advantage of, even the bad candidates. The Democrats have made this bed for themselves, and they are refusing to lie in it because they still truly live in their bubble. They live in their bunker, and they think that they are the ones on top, and all their friends and all the media are giving them all of these affirmations. But the reality on the ground still shows that voters are tired of the Democrats and what they are constantly shoving down Americans' throats. And as a result, somebody like Doug Mastriano has a chance of winning, And Ron DeSantis is going to blow out his Democratic opponent. And Brian Kemp is going to blow out Stacey Abrams. And the Democrats will wonder why. They will shrug their shoulders, look around and wonder why. Let's go ahead and take our bottom of the hour news break. When we come back, we've got some more topics to discuss, like Clay Higgins having a challenger in his congressional race. That and more here on The Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5, KPL. Welcome back to The Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5, KPL 232-1542. If you want to call in and be part of the program. Uh, Some interesting news, the advertiser Greg Hilburn of the USA Today Network reporting uh, that there is a Republican challenger from here in Lafayette who will be challenging Clay Higgins in the race for third congressional district. Of course, qualifying is this week. So we imagine that there might be uh, a name or two pop up. Uh, This is being, again, the headline over at the advertiser and in the USA Today uh, papers here in the state. Surprise Republican candidate challenges GOP Congressman Clay Higgins. Uh, Party sticks with Clay. Uh, Holden uh, Hoggett will uh, challenge Clay Higgins in the third congressional district race. He, uh, age 42, is is a Lafayette prosecutor who also operates his own legal practice and raises cattle. He's never served in elected office, but sits on the Bayou Vermilion Board of Commissioners. He is touting his membership in the National Rifle Association, the Delta Waterfowl Association, and the American Quarter Horse Association. Uh, Higgins got the endorsement of the state's party today. And I, I, I'm expecting Higgins to win, to be honest. I, I don't know uh, this other candidate. Um, Higgins has been very popular in the district. I ha- there, There's virtually no polling that exists to, to show uh, anything of the sort or any, any, anything otherwise. But uh, his personality, uh, it, it is what voters in this area had been looking for. Uh, I don't see, I don't, I don't really see much of a threat to Higgins. Now, I could be wrong. There's still plenty of time, uh, but I could be wrong on that. And we'll just have to see going forward. What's interesting here is that it's getting media coverage. Um, normally, you would say, like if it, if this was a democratically held seat you would probably see uh, a headline like if if democrat if if he was a democrat if clay higgins was a democrat uh, and somebody from the democratic party were announcing a run against him higgins qualifies for reelection that would be the story and then in a paragraph or two at the bottom of the story they would say he picked up a democratic opponent uh from from his left or whatever touting his accomplishments or or whatever it is you you would normally not put the challenger uh, at the first part of the headline unless you're trying to start up some drama where there's probably not any. Again, I could be wrong. This guy running against him could be somebody who just comes out of the gate, gets a lot of money, gets a lot of support, could actually put up a a, a risk to Higgins. I just don't see it. But again, qualifying all over the state is going on. Uh, Gary Chambers actually right now is making a renewed push on some key issues. He is actually, uh, right now, he is wanting to talk about uh, abortion in, in in Louisiana. He I'm, I kid you not, he is looking at abortion as an issue to campaign on. This is over at The Advocate. Pull this up real quick. Um, It wasn't The Advocate earlier. Now, I'm, now I can't see it, but anyway, there was I think it was it was the Advocate or the advertiser, one of them, had a story on uh, on Gary Chambers basically pushing. Here it is: Gary Chambers warns of unsafe abortions in post Roe America in graphic new online ad. Again, Chambers' means of campaigning is not to go around the states and raise money. He's posting these controversial. Uh, online ads in hopes of drawing money from outside the state. That pretty much tells you what you need to know. Luke Mixon is raising a lot of money. The the, the donors in the state who would normally support a John Bell Edwards trial lawyer type, all the trial lawyers coming together, giving Luke Mixon money. Mixon is getting small dollar donations. He's going. He's doing town hall events. He's doing rallies across the state. He's building a network, which is what I've said. Gary Chambers is trying to do and needs to do if he wants to have a shot. But he's not doing it. Instead, he's releasing this ad. It's a 90-second spot, um, and it's about risky and illegal abortions, back-alley abortions being performed because of the overturning of Roe versus Wade. I don't think this is going to get him the support he needs. Abortion would have been a great a great way to fundraise the moment the Dobbs decision was released because everybody knew it was coming. We saw the leaked draft opinion. We saw the leaked draft opinion. We knew that the reversal of Roe versus Wade was coming in the Dobbs case. That would have been a great time for whatever campaign apparatus Gary Chambers has built to drop an abortion ad. There was an abortion bump in the polls. There was increased support. You would have gotten abortion groups across the country to send money to Gary chambers and it would have given him a lifeline. The problem is we're now several weeks removed from the Dobbs decision. And everybody is once again, focusing on January 6th nationally and also across the nation, inflation, still a problem. And here in the state, we are worried about, uh, the, the The economics of Louisiana economically is not doing so well. Chambers missed out on a chance to raise some good money with his abortion act, but he's still he's still pushing for it. Qualifying is this week. He's going to qualify against uh, against John Kennedy. Kennedy is going to win. Probably not even going to get into a, a runoff, and that will be that. Chan ch- hopefully Chambers will be able to continue to raise some money and try to run for governor next year, or be able to give his money to a candidate that he chooses. You know, he has the potential to play uh, Kingmaker. Just, you know, he, he's got to actually do the work. He's got to put the work in across the state. Objectively, that's what's been disappointing. Chambers is charismatic. Chambers is controversial. He does get attention, does draw eyes. But he's not doing any of the groundwork in the state. Whereas Luke Mixon, who... uh Looks like a boring candidate, frankly, but he's going around. He's raising money. He's raising Democrat dollars around the state. And it's not just an establishment Democrat versus, you know, outsider in chambers. It's the fact that he's actually putting the legwork in to run this campaign. Neither of them stands a snowball's chance in a Louisiana afternoon. But at least Mixon's doing the work. Chambers is not. That's what's fascinating. Chambers, I think, has the higher ceiling of the two candidates, but he's not doing any of the work. So there is that. But speaking of state politics, I want to mention this. This also from the advocate. John Bell Edwards, uninvited as honored guest for Belgian event due to his stance on abortion. Louisiana Governor John Bill Edwards' position against abortion caused him to be uninvited as a guest of honor at the Walloon holiday in Belgium, according to the Brussels Times. It is inconceivable for Wallonia to grant the title of guest of honor to a state that does not, repre- not respect what we consider to be a fundamental law, and abortion is a fundamental right, Wallonia's minister-president Eli- uh, Elio De Rupo tweeted and told the Belgian newspaper. DiRupo is the former prime minister of Belgium and is now political head of a section that comprises about half the nation of Belgium. So John Bill Edwards, in trying to stick to his pro-life guns as a Democratic governor in Louisiana, signed the abortion ban, the trigger law in Louisiana, and has been uninvited as a guest of honor at an event in Belgium. John Bill Edwards can't win for losing. Uh... His approval, according to the morning consult poll, his approval in the state is 50% with a 42% disapproval. And I think that's his ceiling at this point. He's he's not going to get any higher between now. I mean, well, it, it might go higher if it's, and God forbid, if it's a bad hurricane season, John Bill Edwards has done, uh, he's he's done well in those emergencies. He's handled those emergencies fairly well. So he could get a bump in the poll from that. That's it. John Bill Edwards is a lame duck. He's He's on his way out. There's not much he can do. The Republicans are not going to let much of his agenda pass, although there are Republicans in the legislature who will let some of his agenda pass and infuriate us all, but there's not much left for him. So he's throwing all of his weight behind Luke Mixon because he's trying to build a successor to himself. 232, 1542. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, some more from the headlines and... Uh, couple pieces to note, I think. Some interesting things to note here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to help us close out the hour. Don't forget, I am on offsides with Shannon after this show, so you won't lose me. I'll still be here another two hours, but we'll shift over to some interesting topics for offsides. But before we get to the bottom of the hour, I... I want to read a bit from my friend Jim Garrity at National Review. Wake up, Democrats, cries the cover of the most recent issue of The Economist. They won't, at least not before the midterm elections. The editors of The Economist, sensing an impending midterm blowout and the ensuing empowerment of a Trump-friendly GOP, beg the Democratic Party's leaders to distance themselves from the fringe elements. Here's what The Economist has to say. Fringe and sometimes dotty ideas have crept into the Democratic rhetoric, peaking in the feverish summer of 2020 with a movement to defund the police, abolish immigration enforcement, shun capitalism, uh, relabel women as birthing people, and inject anti-racism into the classroom. If the Democrats are defined by their most extreme and least popular ideas, they will be handing a winning agenda of culture war grievance to an opposition party that has yet to purge itself of the poison that makes Mr. Trump unfit for office. The Democrats have begun to put this right, but they lack urgency. That may be because some of them blame their problems on others, as when the White House points to Putin's price hike or the negativity of Republican politicians and conservative media. Although there is something in this, There's something to this. The party also needs to ditch cherished myths that empower its idealists. Garrity at National Review goes on to write, Hey, I'd love to see American political culture characterized by sane centrist Democrats arguing with sane conservative Republican Party, moving the country to a gradual, steady center-right direction, but that's not going to happen anytime soon. First, out of all the possible times for leaders of the members to embrace a fight with their hard-left grassroots, four months before Election Day is perhaps the worst time. Right now, Democrats desperately need progressives, the Bernie bros, the squad fans and your crazy aunt Edna with the Ruth Bader Ginsburg prayer candles to turn out in November. I forgot about the candles, honestly, Uh, to turn out in November. They're disappointed enough with Joe Biden already. The future senators, the futures of senators, Raphael Warnock of Georgia, Catherine Cortez Masto of Nevada, Maggie Hassan of New Hampshire and Mark Kelly of Arizona depends upon frustrated and impatient progressives in those states. And Garrity is absolutely right. The problem the Democrats have right now is that voters, moderate voters are fleeing in record numbers to the GOP, independent, moderate voters, the ones who are scared of those fringe left ideas. But in many of those states, the Democrats are still able to remain at parity, maybe a little in front of, maybe a little behind Republican opponents. If there is an open civil war between the centrist Democrats and the far left Democrats, the progressive voters stay home. And so no longer is Maggie Hassan in New Hampshire tied with her Republican, with whatever Republican opponent she gets. She still doesn't have a a Republican opponent yet. Not only will she remain tied with a generic Republican on the ballot, but she would lose 10, 15 points if progressives get frustrated and stay home. Progressives are frustrated. That's why they're pushing Joe Biden to uh, to really go on the offensive with a climate agenda. Uh, the Washington Post is reporting that some climate activists have urged the White House in recent months to deploy emergency declarations to maximum effect, arguing that it will allow the president to halt crude oil exports, limit oil and gas drilling in federal waters, and direct agencies, including the Federal Emergency Management Agency, to boost renewable energy sources. They want Joe Biden to do all that via executive order, just so it would, it would make progressives happy and keep them voting. You know good and well that if the activists had their way and we stopped exporting oil, and we limited gas and oil drilling in federal waters, and we directed agencies to boost renewable energy sources, you know that would hurt our economy. You and I both know this. The Democrats also know this and they don't care because they want to switch to green energy. They want us to get off fossil fuels the worst time for it though, but he can sign these executive orders and direct his agencies to do that. And it would show the progressives. He's doing something. He's trying to fight. He's trying to do something and may just keep them going to the polls again, the Democrats aren't angry that stuff isn't getting done. The Democrats are angry that their demo- the, the demography battle they thought they won is now being used against them. And they're mad that it's all these policies that aren't going through are chasing away progressive voters and encouraging them to stay home. Biden has already used the Defense Production Act to seize the materials needed to uh, create to, to make solar panels and distribute them as a means of renewable energy for uh, Americans, which is flies in the face of what the Defense Production Act is actually supposed to be for. But he's doing these things via executive order in order to make it more likely that Democrats will go out and vote, that far-left progressives will go out and vote. He's willing to hurt the economy more to make voters go to the polls, to encourage voters to go to the polls. That's where Joe Biden is. That's where the Democrats are right now. And so they're so desperate for that. There's not going to be a civil war between the centrists and the far left progressives as the economist is calling for, by the way, really sad to see what happened to the economist. It was actually pretty center, sometimes center, right. News source. But, uh, was it 10, 15 years ago, I think, they, got, they went under new management and took a hard left turn. They were a very good source at one point, though. But the economist wants the centrist to take back the fight. And in American politics, you can't do that right now. If you start with an open civil war four months before the midterm elections, all you're going to do is get the progressive voters to stay home. And so all of those narrow races that Democrats really hope they can somehow hold on to or maybe and, and, and some of those close races that maybe they can win, those go out the window because progressives won't see any reason to go if their party is still being held hostage by the evil centrists like Joe Manchin. In the end, the Democrats are really out of hope, barring a miracle. The Democrats really have no hope whatsoever. And I'm sorry if you're a Democrat and you're listening. I There's no answer for you. There's no answer to the problem. You're going to have to deal with whatever November brings. Hopefully, hopefully maybe you can win a race somewhere. But otherwise, it's a bloodbath. All right, y'all. I think that's about it. Another 23 hours until the Joe Cunningham Show comes back. In the meantime, go to kpel965.com. You can see today's show notes, see all the links, all the stuff I was talking about today. Also, check me out on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. Listen to the podcast version of the show on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Stick around. I'll be joining Shannon on offsides. In the meantime, y'all have a good one. Talk to you again soon here on News Talk 96.5 KPL.